into the message today. Um, today, we're going to be ta- talking about honesty and truthfulness. There is a song, a psalmist from the 1970s. He's not a biblical psalmist, but a songwriter in the 70s who wrote these words. He said, if you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. Somebody knows that song already. You can have the love you need to live. He said, but if you look for truthfulness, you might just as well be blind. It always seems to be so hard to give. The second verse of the song says, I can always find someone to say they sympathize if I wear my heart out on my sleeve. But I don't want some pretty face to tell me pretty lies. He says, all I want is someone to believe. And the chorus of the song says this, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. I want to sing, but I'm not going to. Honesty is hardly ever heard, but mostly what I need from you. Some of y'all know that song from Billy Joel, and I think Billy was right in our culture and in our times. Honesty is a lonely word. The sad reality is that in many cases, we don't even really expect honesty anymore. We often don't expect it in the political realm. It doesn't matter what strain, what party, what right, what left. We just often don't even expect to hear honesty and truth. We expect to hear spin and lies. It's just normalized. We often don't expect it in marketing. In marketing, we're told whatever it takes to make you know that you just need this product or you need this service will tell you whatever it takes to convince you of how much you need it. It doesn't matter whether you need it or not. We want to separate you from your money and we're going to tell you how much you need this thing. Who's ever heard... Uh, what, what do they call it when they come on at late at night, usually the infomercials? Who's ever heard an infomercial? I remember years ago I bought a Ronco record vacuum. It took your record and put it on this little thing, and it was supposed to clean out the groove so your record would last forever. Infomercial. So you, some of you may have heard an infomercial. It might, this isn't an actual one, but. It goes something like this. The man comes on the screen and says, but not only that, if you call in the next 17 minutes, you'll get a second magic mop at no extra cost, excluding shipping, handling, and other and sundry costs that may cost more than the mop itself. If you're one of the first 13 callers, you'll also get this Magic Mop accessory kit. That's right. Your Magic Mop not only cleans up those nasty grease spills in your garage, it's also a state-of-the-art food processor. That's right. It slices, it dices, it even makes Julian fries. Call before midnight tonight and your entire IRS tax lien will be forgiven. 
Call today. Get your magic mop with our 100% exclusive money-back guarantee. Not available in the 48 contiguous states, Alaska or Hawaii. We've heard these things. We've heard lie upon lie to manipulate us to get to something. And we can laugh about it when it's marketing. We can cry about it when it's politics. But it's even sadder when it's the reality too often in the religious realm. Many people don't even expect real honesty from religious leaders. If you say something that makes me feel better for a minute, if you tickle my ears a little, that's enough for me. But many people have thrown up their hands and basically said, it's all spin anyway. No one's really telling the truth. But we're going to see from God's word today that even though honesty is a lonely word for us and that it is mostly what we need from God and from each other, God wants to create a culture among his people of real honesty and trustworthiness. So today, stand with me, and we're going to look at the next few verses in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And we're going to read those voices together, those verses together from God's word. Let's read. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The title for today's sermon is Honesty, the Anatomy of a Lying Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that every word in the Bible matters and that you want to communicate something to your people even now As we look at these verses, have your way, O God. Do your work to the praise and to the glory of your great name. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we deal with the subject of honesty, Jesus is trying to get us to understand that the ethic of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, is honest communication. The main point from these verses today is that God is the God of truth. And that as kingdom citizens, we're called to be people of truth. So there are three main components that we're looking at in today's message. Number one, God has always valued absolute truthfulness. Number two, 
disciples are called to live in truthful transparency. And number three, a failure to walk in truthfulness reflects the values of the evil one. So let's jump into the text today and look at verse 33 again. That's where we're going to start. Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to a people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. The first verse here that we're looking at demonstrates God's posture towards truth. And that's our first point today. God has always valued absolute truth. This verse is like four other, three others that had preceded it. As we're looking through Matthew 5, it starts with that injunction, you've heard that it was said. And so going back to verse 17, Jesus outlined the fact that his sermon, what he was about to say in terms of the ethics of the kingdom of God, turns everything upside down. And now this is the fourth injunction where he's saying, this is how things change. You've heard that it was said, but now I'm saying something new to you. Again, as with the others, God does not change. Jesus does not change the truth of the Old Testament word, but he builds on it and he looks behind the surface of it to bring out the truest meaning of that word. Obviously, the verses we're looking at today are tied to the ones that were immediately before it, those verses on marriage and divorce. And what Jesus had done there, we talked about it last week, was he got, he he gave this word and he talked about what was said in the Torah and what was said there about divorce was in order to deal with the reality of the fallenness of this world, God made provision. But what Jesus did in Matthew 5, 31 and 32 was to point us back before the fall and to say, here's the original intention of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in these verses today. Jesus is telling us this is what was always in the heart of God from the beginning. And so he reminds us, he reminds his hearers in verse 33 that they are not to break any oath. And he's reminding them this several times. This comes from the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2 sums it up this way. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. And so this is repeated in different ways several times in the Old Testament. The idea here is be true to your word. If you make a vow, fulfill it. Old Testament was written in the context of the ancient Near East, different cultures in Mesopotamia and Sumeria and Egypt. And in all of those 
cultures, one of the things that was very common was to make an oath or a vow in order to demonstrate that you were solemn about what you were saying, that this was something that you were going to back up and that you actually would do. To make a vow or a pledge like this or an oath was to say that this has the full backing of my credibility and perhaps some other things that were involved in the oath and in the pledge. But these vows that were made and that Jesus was talking about were always voluntary vows. Now the problem, even with God's people, the Israelites, is that people began to do what fallen people do. They look for ways to appear righteous and holy and make this vow, but also look for a way to get out of it without consequence. That's what was going on. And so in the Old Testament, God always made truthful speech a value that reflects on the very person of God himself. He is the God of truth. He is the faithful one. When God says it, you know that he means what he says and has the power to bring it to pass. The psalmist said in Psalm 33 in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Therefore, the Old Testament instructs people, when you make a vow, when you make an oath, make sure that you keep it because not to do so as a child of Israel is to defame the name of the Lord our God. But we know that God is more than simply a teller of truth. As a matter of fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus puts it this way, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In other words, God is not just one who tells truth. God is truth personified. He is truth itself. So that's the first point here today in a nutshell. God has always valued absolute truthfulness because God himself is truth. So I want to go on to the meat of what Jesus is communicating in these verses today. In verses 34 through 37a, and I want to read those verses again. Starting in verse 34, Jesus says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I could add, or put another hair on your bald spot. Verse 37, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. I'm going to stop right there. The main point from those verses is our second point today. Disciples are called to live by truthful transparency. On the face of this, Jesus might seem to be contradicting the Old Testament because he says, I tell you, don't make an oath at all. 
But what we're going to see is that he is actually underscoring the same value that God was making clear in the Old Testament, that God demands that his people be truthful and honest in their speech. These verses actually show us the anatomy of a lying life. How do we get from being people who make an oath, or how do we get to be people of true speech to people who are now shady in how we handle truth. And we'll see what happens in verses 34 through 36. We see this chain of different things that the disciples are told, don't swear by this. He says, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't even swear by your own head. Now, some of these things, it may sound strange to us. I know in our Culture sometimes, people will say, I swear on my mother's grave. You know they better be serious when they swear on their mother's grave, right? But many times we don't, this isn't such a part of our culture like it is there. So what's going on here? First of all, we need to understand, as I said before, that in the Old Testament, these vows were vows that were voluntarily made by people. They weren't ascribed by God, but they voluntarily made their vows. But as we see the history of the Old Testament evolve, people start trying to find loopholes with that. Some of you may have heard of a book or readings called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a work that was compiled by Jewish rabbis from the first to the third century after Christ. And it was compiled to look at the wisdom of the teaching of the Jewish leaders from the time of the 6th century B.C. up until the time of Jesus. So they're writing down the most important teachings of the Jewish leaders in that time. And there's an entire section of the Mishnah that is explaining vows and oaths. What kind of vow or oath really sticks And what kind of vow or oath isn't as important? And so they judge all of these vows or oaths by how closely they're associated with the name of Yahweh. And so you can make vows, but according to the Mishnah, according to the religious teaching, it's not like a 100% vow. So you make like a 68% vow. So I promise this is true but really, it like doesn't all have to be true. So it's almost like what we do. How many of you have ever done this? Now, be honest with me, especially when you were kids. Did you ever promise someone something? I want you to raise your hands and cross your fingers behind your back. Whoever did that? Oh, I got a bunch of hypocrites in this room. <laughs> See, I had an advantage on all of you. I told you a while back, I have a toe that crosses over my big toe. So I didn't even have to cross my fingers. My toe is crossed all the time. So we have this kind of thing in our culture as well where we feel like we can be a little fast and loose with the truth because we've got our fingers crossed behind our back. But that's, that's what a kid would do. But this reality of appearing to be honest and yet not being honest is not just a kid thing in our culture, is it? It's a very real thing, and it is a difficult thing, probably 
for all of us in this room at times. Let, let me give you a few ways that our culture can be indicative of a lying culture. Some things that we can even find ourselves moved to do at times. Number one, making promises that you're not sure you'll be able to keep. And maybe even you don't really intend to keep it. Now, most people in this room would say, I would never do that. I would never do that. Let me just talk to husbands for a second. Now, husbands, let's just suppose for a minute that you're watching the Eagles game. (laughs) And let's suppose for a second they're doing well. I know that's a lot of supposing right now. But let's suppose they're doing well. You're watching the Eagles game, and and your wife, who's not as big of a football fan, is leaving the house and, and going to take care of some things. And as she's leaving, she says, Honey, can you please do the dishes before I get back? Your response is, Yes, honey, I'll do it. I promise I got that. Now, you say, I'll get it at halftime. You just lied. Because you're watching the game at halftime. You heard about this other game going on on the other channel. You're going to click to that channel. You're going to watch that other game. Mama's coming home. Dish is not done. You really didn't intend to. You just wanted to sound nice for a minute. We've done that. Many of us have done that. Number two, the second indicator of a lying culture is manipulating and convincing others to believe something so that it works to your advantage. When I was a kid, I played this football game called electric football. I don't know if anyone ever played electric football. It, it was a board about this big. It was metal, and you would hit this little clicker, and it would make the board vibrate real fast, and the little guys would move because they were being vibrated. I played electric football and fell in love with it. I was about 10 years old. And I had to have an electric football game. The problem was it was September and my birthday wasn't until February. But I have a younger brother whose birthday's in October. And I convinced my brother, you need to have electric football. If you don't get it, you might just die. You need electric football. And I convinced him to get electric football, and he did. Listen, we can do that in many other ways, manipulating others to convince them to believe something that works to our advantage. Number three, ensuring that your Facebook, Instagram, social media world paints a picture of you that doesn't look anything like your reality. My wife calls that Facebook world or Facebook reality. Right, We probably, all who are involved in social media to one degree or another, can, can, be, can move that way. We, we want to put out all the good stuff. Everybody always graduates with honors, right? Everyone graduates uh, uh, magna cum laude. I don't know about you, but some of us graduate thank you laude, right? <laughs> Everything is smiles and wonder and glory in virtual reality, but it doesn't reflect our lives very well. Number four, the next one, not honestly dealing with conflict, but pretending to like or love someone while holding animosity toward them. Now, this may be saying negative things about someone to other people, but to their face, you smile and act nice. That is indicative of a lying 
culture. The last one I have here today to think about is hiding an entire part of your life from those closest to you. Now, let me say this. Everyone in the world doesn't know, need to know everything about your life, right? That would not be healthy. But there are some people that are very close to you who need to be aware of things going on in your life. And so when we hide that away and we don't let anyone in to the secret of our life, no one gets in. That's indicative of a lying culture. Reality is that these things and many more like it are not just accepted, but they are expected in our culture. And so, not unlike the first century disciples, modern day believers live in a world that constantly gives a cultural pass on honesty. Now here, put up the next slide, the anatomy of a lie. The anatomy of a lie is a mindset that is committed to self-protection and self-interest with only a fuzzy perception of God at best. What do I mean by that? The center of my world is me. The center of, the wor- of my world is what's in my interest. It's not God. If I still give lip service to God, it's a fuzzy lip service because what really matters is how everything affects me. So the second part of that is that with that mindset, truth becomes an optional commodity that I can use when it is to my advantage and discard it when it doesn't benefit me. So like the writers of the Mishnah, I can find loopholes. The the writers of the Mishnah said that that if you make an oath to earth or to make an oath to heaven, you can get away with that oath. They even said if you make an oath Uh, about Jerusalem or by Jerusalem, you don't have to keep it. But if you make an oath toward Jerusalem, you have to keep that oath. Now, what is that? That is a messy world that invites nothing less than hypocrisy, right? That's what it is. And that is the world that we find ourselves in today. How many have ever used expressions like this in terms of excusing your own lie. It's not hurting anyone, so it really doesn't matter. Or they wouldn't understand anyway. I'm just making it easier on them. Or I did it for their own good. Or I had to lie to serve the greater good. What greater good was that? Probably my greater good. Jesus' conclusion at the end of verse 37 literally reads, if you read it in the Greek, he says, let your word be yes, yes, And no, no. The word yes in Greek is nay. That sounds weird, right? It should be yay, but it's nay. So he says, let your word be nay, nay. Yes, yes. Or no, no. Ooh, ooh is no, no in Greek. So he's saying, let what you say reflect the reality of an honest heart. Most of us, are familiar with the Pharisees. We've heard about that in church a lot. You've heard about the Sadducees. But there's another group, another Jewish sect from the first century called the Essenes. 
that many of you may not be as familiar with. The Essenes were in the desert community when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls were found some years ago. That was in the Qumran community, which is where the Essenes had set up shop. They were apart from people. They lived apart from the rest of society. And if we think that the Pharisees were strict, the Essenes were ten times stricter than the Pharisees. And one of the things that the Essenes believed was that a person who is not believed without appealing to God, that person stands condemned already. There's an apocryphal book, a book written between the time of the Old and New Testament that Jews still read today and uh, Roman Catholics read as well. It's called The Wisdom of Sirach. And one verse in that book says, The one who swears many oaths is full of iniquity. Jesus is telling us that we should live in such a way that people have no reason at all not to believe what we say. When our words are consistently truthful and honest, we represent the Lord in a proper way. Now, I want to deal with one other issue from these verses because Jesus says in verse 33, you've heard it said, the people long ago do not break your oath, but fulfill the vows you made. But in verse 34, he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. I just want to deal with this very briefly. Many people believe that as a Christian, you can't make any oath or vow at all. Jehovah Witnesses believe that. Some Christians believe that. But I think that that is a wrong interpretation of this scripture. Remember, the vows that Jesus is talking about are voluntary vows that you use in order to impress people with the fact that you're telling the truth. But there are vows that are involved in culture that we can take and we should take. In other words, if you are inducted into the military, you take a vow. Or if you testify in court, you swear an oath. Or if you're getting married, you do your vows. That is allowable. Jesus is not saying that you cannot do that. If there's a brother in here that's looking to get married... And if I do your marriage ceremony and I say, I give the vows and say, do you promise to love her and keep her? Do you promise to cherish her and honor her and love her as long as you both shall live? And you say, man, I don't do vows. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. This is not going to be a good wedding, y'all. So we can take certain vows that are culturally or politically appropriate, what we don't do is make vows to impress people with the truth of our word. So let's look at the last piece here. We've established that God has always valued absolute truthfulness and that disciples are called to truthful transparency. But let's look at verse 37 again. Verse 37 says, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's the final point in these verses today. A failure to walk in truthfulness reflects the values of the evil one. Jesus plainly says here that if you need to do anything more than just say yes 
or no. Just let people know what you're saying. Then that impetus, that reality that people cannot believe what you say reflects not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of the enemy. Now, why is this so important? It is because of this. The fight for truthfulness is spiritual warfare. The struggle that you and I have at times to be honest is ground zero for spiritual warfare in your life. It's interesting to me that when Paul goes through the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, the first item of the armor of God that he mentions is the belt of truth. In Ephesians 6.14, he puts it this way. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That belt of truth in the Roman armor was the thing that kept everything else together. You had a breastplate. You had things that covered your legs. You had all of this. But without the belt of truth, without that belt around their midsection, everything else would flap all over the place and you would be open time and time and time again to the arrows of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, as believers in Jesus Christ, that is true of us. When truth becomes an optional commodity, when truth becomes something that we, we only pay somewhat of adherence to and don't give our lives to the reality of being truthful in our speech, then we are in trouble with the enemy of our souls. The enemy sows lies over and over and over again into this world. And that is his greatest weapon. He's used it since the Garden of Eden. He told lies to Eve and to Adam in that garden. And he is telling lies even to this day. Listen, as I get ready to close, the seminal lie that Satan sows wherever he can find receptive ground is this lie. God will not Take care of you. There's a thousand variations of that lie. God is not enough. God is not trustworthy. Your life is hopeless. You're a mess and you're never going to get better. Listen, this is why the most basic building block for a life of truth is a rock-solid belief in the goodness of God. And listen to this, and that God loves you. Hear this. It's not just enough to know that God is love in some kind of spiritual, ethereal way. That's not enough. You need to know that God loves you and he does love you. And because this is true and because God is all-powerful and all-knowing, You have every reason in the world to hope. And when we hope and we believe in this God, we can easily tell the truth on ourselves. We can tell the truth because we know that whatever comes, God has me. And God is enough for me. 
Listen, if you're waiting on your circumstances to make you know that God is true and God loves you, that just might not happen. Circumstances may tell you exactly the opposite. When you get a terrifying diagnosis from the doctor, that may sound like make you wonder, does God really care about me? When you have a lot more month than you have money, that may make you wonder, will God really take care of me? When we have tragedy that strikes around us, when a young person, maybe in your family, is shot and killed, that happens way too often here in our city of brotherly love. You may wonder, does God even know? Does God, does God even care? When we're in relationships that are strained, broken, and abusive, we may wonder, does God really care? But the answer to God's love for you is not revealed in circumstances. The answer for God's love for you is revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus' love is enough. Jesus loves you so much that he knows every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit. He knows every fault. He knows every dark place in your heart. He knows things that no one else in this world knows or maybe will ever know. And yet he dies on a cross for your sin to set you free and to give you life abundantly. That is our God. And when we know that, God sets us free. Honesty is such a lonely word. That sentiment is true in a world that is unhinged from the life of God. But we serve a God who is true and who calls us to be a people marked by honesty. A life committed to honesty is triggered by realizing three things. Number one, you realize that God is real. Number two, that God is here. And number three, that you belong to God. When you understand that you live and you move and you have your being in this God, when you know that his love for you is eternal, it's unbreakable, and it's purposeful, and when you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is calling you to love him and love others for his glory, you will experience the Holy Spirit empowerment to live a life of honesty and truth, even in difficult and compromising situations. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice today, will embrace Jesus' words here in Matthew 5. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And reflect the glory of God, who is true and righteous, and be a person of integrity, honesty, and truth. Let me pray.